0: Welcome to the Way of the Weaver podcast, where we explore magic, justice, and community.
1: Thanks for showing up to our queer-centric, radically enchanted conversations. Our world needs your magic.
0: I'm Jamie Wagner. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm coming to you from Muskogee land in so-called Alabama.
1: I'm Murphy Robinson. My pronouns are they or he, and I'm coming to you from Indakana, the land of the Abenaki people, also known as Vermont.
0: Welcome to episode 6 of the Way of the Weaver podcast. Today we're talking about death presticking and that is presticking with an x. <laughs>
1: So, yes, we use the the X for it to be a gender-neutral term instead of priest or priestess. Um, mm-hmm. And so, Jamie, when did you first become aware that death priestessing is a thing? Did it, like, call to you right away? How did you find your way to this, like, somewhat obscure uh, specialty?
0: Yeah, um, I didn't really know it was a thing. I think the first time I experienced it without really uh, a name for it was when my grandfather died. My grandfather died in 2008, and um, it was in Missouri, and I actually lived in Atlanta at the time, and a lot of my family lived in Oregon, but we all, we all sort of, you know, converged in the middle, and uh, it was interesting because it was a ton of people crammed into a tiny house, <laughs> my grandparents' house. Um, and which, you know, it was a modest home. Uh, and all of us were there. Some of us had the flu. Some of us didn't. All of us were in mourning. He, you know, he died suddenly. So it was shocking. It wasn't expected. And um, I basically I was I was one of the people that was not sick. So that's, that's first, you know, first of all, I you know was healthy and feeling well. And the way that I moved through that couple weeks was I did the cooking and I did the laundry and I cleaned up the bathroom and I did like all this stuff. And, you know, I slept with my grandma, like in her bedroom, like in my grandparents' bed at night. And, you know, and she would, you know, kind of cry and like cuddle me and stuff. And so I think that that was my first experience, at, you know, with the, with 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 moving in the world in that role, um, but not really knowing what I was doing, I just knew that you know that was kind of what needed to happen in the scenario. Now the the, re- the when I became aware of uh, that there's actually a thing like a death priestess or a death doula. Some people are you know are called that or a death midwife or a death worker. There's lots of names, but um, I had a very good friend whose young daughter was dying of cancer in a Cape Cod area. And so I actually was kind of in between jobs and moving myself and had some flexibility in my life. So I said, you know, do you want somebody to come and just be with you and kind of advocate for you while you're advocating for your daughter? (laughs) And, And my friend was like, yes, I would really like that. So I came and, you know, kind of just generally did Whatever needed to be done. Because again, it was a family scenario. There was lots of family coming in from all different kinds of of places. Um, There was lots that needed to be done to really just, um, you know, tend to the, the needs of the living while they're taking care of their beloved uh family member that's dying so everything from doing the dishes to making the coffee to maintaining a schedule where we put down like all the medications that need to be made from you know looking up education like looking up things to educate like as far as okay what do we need to do with the bank accounts what do we need to do with this like what do we need who do we need to call like at the moment that she passes away and just kind of um taking care of details so that the people that were involved in the death transition with the daughter um, didn't really have to think about those extraneous things that could just be in the moment. And the experience of um, living with their family and helping out through that really brought it home. I'm like, you know, this is something that I'm good at, and I think it's actually a thing. Right. <laughs> um you know, and kind of also gave a framework of reference for that earlier experience I had when my grandfather died. And I think, th- I think really that would have been that second experience that I'm talking about in Cape Cod was in 2019. So there was like a significant amount of time that passed, um, between those two experiences, but, um, yeah, it really brought it into my life in a big way when I helped out my friend and her family. So what about you, Murphy? <laughs> um, well,
1: I, um, Unlike you, I have never like tended the death of a fellow human, um, but I do a lot of work with the sacred hunt, um, and I was I was called to a spiritual hunting practice by the deity Skadi, who is the huntress goddess of the Norse tradition, um, and was really called to like bring sacred practice and prayer and gratitude um, into that practice of hunting for food um and you know to be in this deeply um respectful relationship with the the food that you're harvesting from the land and to Mm -hmm. use every Mm -hmm. part that you possibly can and to you know sing over the body of your prey and to um just hold the whole process with reverence which is not always Mm -hmm. the way that it's done in modern american culture um uh, for hunting let alone for like you know commercial farming or whatever but um so i was i was already kind of deep in that work um when i experienced a call to work with the god hades which was you know through a camp where you and i were both both present um working with the hades and persephone myth and i was really really surprised by how strong of a call i felt to this god it was it really took me unaware i was like i don't actually have greek heritage like this is kind of coming out Uh of the blue i'm not (laughs) sure why this is like um really calling to me but it is and i was a little confused for a while about like what does hades want with me um But then eventually, you know, I was a little slow in the uptake, but eventually I really made the connection that I was like already doing so much death work through my hunting (laughs) where I was both had my own sacred hunt practice and I was actively teaching hunting classes for other people, especially uh, people of marginalized genders um, here in Vermont. So that was already something that I had a big practice around and uh, working with Hades really kind of expanded my... um, my concept of that. And I found that both through the work with Hades and the work with Scottie, there's also just, um, there are times when somebody needs to be able to mercifully kill uh, a creature. And it is a skill that very few people have in the modern world. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized after I became a hunter that, Um, that that was a really important skill that people were so grateful to have. Like, for example, um, at the summer camp that I worked at, I mostly was out on the trail leading expeditions. But um, back at the base summer camp, we had chickens and goats. And there was a chicken that was just really, really sick. Like it had this wound that it had gotten somehow. (laughs) I don't even know how. And it like the wound had maggots in it. Like it was just a very sad, Mm, like slowly dying chicken. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, this chicken is suffering so much and we don't know how to deal with it. And they called the like farmers that support their chicken thing. And they were like, we're too busy. You guys got to deal with it. And so someone was like, oh my gosh, we should ask Murphy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I was able to come in and, you know, honor this chicken's life, handle it with respect and reverence, do the actual physical act of chopping its head off with an ax, uh, which is what needed to happen. Um and, uh, you know, and and lead people through like burying this chicken and having a little ceremony around it and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that has to be that has to happen with many um, creatures in our lives, whether they're terminally ill or whether you're like yeah. raising goats. And part of the cycle is that you actually can't support, you know, 14 bucklings for as long as they're going to live. You're going to actually harvest them for meat. Um, and so when we were raising goats on my land, we also like the role I intentionally took was to. Stay emotionally detached enough from the goats that I could be that um, merciful death bringer uh, for when yeah. it was time yeah. to to harvest our animals. Um, and that was a role that everyone really, really valued on the land. they're like, oh, good. We're glad that Murphy's got this part because this is going to be hard for the people who were like <laughs> bottle feeding the kids and things like that.
0: Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. So and even there's just a even, lot of opportunities. Like even harvesting plants, harvesting harvesting plants. Uh you and I were just talking earlier about you had a project to fell a bunch of trees, like anything that's living, um, you know, being able to uh, you know, be in that moment of transition with a living thing and to do it with mercy and care and respect It's a very big deal.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> It it is, and it's. I like bringing. I like broadening the definition of death processing beyond just doing it for humans. Um, and mm-hmm. to yeah get out of yeah. our human centric mindset and remember that there are ways that we want to help mm-hmm. bring a good death to who beings all around us. Um, pretty frequently. Yeah. Um, but I'm wondering since Jamie, I feel like you've done a lot of work within this like conscious um, role and identification as a death priestix. And how would you actually define what a death priestix is?
0: Well, we talked about, uh, we use death priestix with an X to make it gender neutral. And, you know, it's someone that tends the threshold of transition. So that's a real liminal space, and in that space, they can do a couple different things. Um, sometimes more more than one thing at once. They help the living navigate death. That's one part of it. Um, whether those living are the ones actually dying, or if they're just surrounding one who is dying, because there's tending that that happens on both those uh, both those fronts. And they assist the dead to share their wisdom with the living. Um, you know, the dead still have agency, the dead are among us all the time, yeah. <laughs> and death priestesses can help uh, help that relationship grow. And it can take a lot of forms, right? We talked about dead myth or mi- death, like midwifing. Um, spiritual companionship at the time of dying, those types of things. Uh, It could look like hosting funeral rites, like being someone who knows how to host a ceremony to honor the dead, Uh, someone who knows how to sit in a vigil for an animal or for a a plant or a person, Um, someone who is well-versed in necromancy, the magic of death or the magic of working with the dead and mediumship and things like that. Uh, psychopomp work. This is something that happens a lot on the metaphysical level, and it's actually leading the dead when they're lost to where they need to go. <laughs> um, you know, mindful, we talked about mindful harvesting of plants, mindful hunting, mindful butchery, mindful cooking. Um, because all of us have to cook every day. Sure. <laughs> um, this can be someone who is an education hub, someone who knows all about death planning, uh, knows all about estate planning, how to do those kinds of details that we need to take care of. Uh, this can look like, it can look like ancestor veneration. It can look like ancestry repair work, um, even genealogy or archival work, all of those things are a form of death preixing. And also just caretaking of places of the dead, like cemeteries and um, burial spots, spots of interment and things like that. So <laughs> lots that's, of things. And that's actually just a short list. There's many, many more, yeah, that's a lot of different
1: like ways, angles people can take on death mm-hmm. preixing. And it's an interesting practice to have, like in our modern culture, because i think we're sort of a little mixed up these days about how to even deal with death like it's people don't always mm-hmm. have a clear framework about it so why do you think that like death priestesses is are presexes are so like crucial like in our cultural moment right now
0: yeah this is critical emotional and spiritual intelligence for our times um, i'm absolutely certain of it um You know, and especially in the modern Western world, we are we have very little exposure to uh, you have more exposure than most people living on your land in Vermont. But, you know, most people have very little exposure to the process of physical death and dying. Uh, Even when we go to get our food, it comes packages in, in plastic in the supermarket. Right. And the lack of exposure to the physical process of of dying and to the dead can be really problematic because it it others it right it makes it something other something extra and, and it's really not um, and a lot of, this happened on a large scale with the introduction of embalming <laughs> um, embalming removed the uh, necessity of. Of having the dead in your home with directly interacting with dead bodies and caring for deceased loved ones. Um, and so again, like there's this process of kind of othering it because we're just not familiar to it. And you know, what happens is we have very limited amounts of time. I mean, most people, even if it's a spouse that dies, only get like a week off of their work, right? Um, so there's the limited amount of time for grieving. There are a limited amount of outlets. We don't, you know, we don't have good ways to share our grief with others and process it in community. And so our nervous systems can't keep up with this. They, it, We're just, we're not, we're not wired yeah. to be able to work through that transition and that pace of change that death can bring to us. And so I think collectively we, we have sort of a trauma born resistance to, to, to working with death and working with dying, and I think that on a collective level, that just continues to grow because we we don't have healthy mechanisms for working with this. And I think you know, if you know, if you really think about it, death happens on a lot of levels, right? <laughs> it's not something that we're just dealing with when we lose a loved one or when we have to acquire some food. Um, You know, it can happen in our personal lives. It can happen in our communities. It can happen in the realm of that which is larger, which is like a global or existential scale um, of thinking about death. And people around us, we we need assistance and support through all these types of transitions, whether they're large or small. And that's why skilled death priestesses are really, really important. Like, for example. On a personal level, you might be dealing with the death of a relationship, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing that can happen. How do I give a romantic relationship a good death, a, a friendship, a partnership, a job? How do I other interactions that I have? How when those things die and they do, they, <laughs> that's part of our human experience. How do I give them a good death? What do I need to feel a sense of closure around that, uh, regardless of what the other party may be willing or able to provide, right? Uh, am I still grieving any relationships? How am I moving through those grief processes that are ongoing and how are they affecting my next relationships that are coming into my life? Um, another personal thing can be habits, right? Uh, there's like habits that become outdated, they come become undesired or unnecessary. Um, and, you know, habits, sometimes it's really hard to put those things to rest. You know, what feels like the good way, the good, like a good, a good way of saying goodbye to a habit. How can you compost a habit into something fertile that's ready for new growth? Um, you know, those are just a few personal things, you know, when it comes and then when you expand out and it becomes like on the community level, you know, how do we honor our ancestors of both blood and affinity, right? Like, how are we honoring um, the community around us? And, you know, to be alive, (laughs) we need water, we need sleep, we need air, we need food. Uh, And, you know, no matter what kind of uh, consumer of food you are, whether you're a vegan, a vegetarian, omnivore, carnivore, (laughs) whatever you are, uh, there's a whole plethora of plants and animals that are giving their lives so that you can consume the food that you need. Um, And that's part of the community around you, right? There's dead and decaying matter. There's leaves, there's fungi, there's insects, animals, there's even human bodies that are composting into soil. And eventually that will grow plants that we eat, or it will provide the plants that the animals eat that we harvest for our food. So, you know, death is among us every moment of the day. It's all around us. Uh, We are only alive because of the dead. (laughs) And Uh, death priestesses can help us learn to honor those sacrifices. And again, like you were saying, Murphy, especially when it comes to the other than human world around us that is also experiencing death. Um, Yeah. So providing a lot of support and, you know, on a community level, supporting uh, communities and groups who are greatly impacted by death. Um, You know, for example, uh, you know, People that are living in uh, war zones, people that are in, um, you know, that don't have uh, the type of privilege that we have here in the Western world. Like those, like death is happening not only on a personal scale, but on a community scale in some areas of the world. So, you know, that's very important, too.
1: Yeah, I feel like that taps into our uh, sort of values around tying in our ethics to like that which is larger what are the the Mm -hmm. bigger structures um that we can engage with a in a meaningful way that gets to like root causes of things and stuff like that because i mean death is a part of life um and suffering is maybe a part of life too i don't think that as much as the buddhists do but like um Mm -hmm. suffering i feel like is something we really really can mitigate and and can like work towards reducing and there's a lot of like large-scale suffering associated with mm-hmm. with unjust deaths that are happening um and so when we look at like the the principles of of what's operating in those examples it's like how do we give a good death to white supremacy how do we give a good uh, death to colonization um mm-hmm. a good death to capitalism all these forms of oppression. are these and and like if one of the um ideas and death-based thing is that you if you don't give something a good death it may come back to haunt you so you know we would love to defeat these forms of Mm -hmm. oppression and how can we give these uh a good enough death that they're not going to come back to haunt us or are we already Mm -hmm. being haunted by them (laughs) Um, we're
0: we're already haunted by something i think we're haunted by a colonization for sure
1: (laughs) yes definitely yeah and like how can we you know, deal with these restless spirits, these ideas that are still just like intractable and causing such suffering in our, in our society. Yeah. Um, I mean,
0: well, that, that's an example of the death priestics working with some, some, a concept that, that is already dead perhaps, or, or is dying and, and helping, you know, helping propitiate (laughs) I have a hard, uh, I have a hard time with that word, um, which basically means uh, put them to rest. Give them what they need so that they they're they're put to rest. What do we need to if we're being haunted by the shades of of these oppressions? What do we need to do to put them to rest? Yeah, yeah,
1: because they are really intractable, and I think part of that is mm-hmm. like, and and part of that is like building consensus um, among people that mm-hmm. that it is time to put them to rest because there's a lot of people that aren't actually ready to let these things die. <laughs> Um, so building that consensus and then finding that good way forward to um actually do what's needed to let go of that and welcome something new into that space.
0: Um, I think one could make the argument that those people are in a space of grieving and holding on and maybe needing some help moving through
1: Um, and yeah, we do we've had a lot of opportunity lately for death presixing on this large global scale because we've been facing pandemics and climate disasters and wars it just seems like every week there's something new um and so there is there's a a skill that the death priestess needs of how to find your own like balanced um internal stance in order to receive this news and feel the feelings that it brings up and then to help others through that process um and yeah, then to question yeah. like what can i do in my life to help help um address the root causes of some of these things because some death is natural obviously but other death is like unnecessary and really mm-hmm. really sad yeah um, yeah so just yeah so grappling Mur- with those larger yeah. concepts i think is an important <laughs> part of it
0: murphy uh I love this. I could talk about this forever. This is really juicy stuff for me. I love this. But um, you know, for the folks that are listening to us, and this might be new for them, um, if you had to make some recommendations, if people are interested in this, and this is kind of, um, you know, something that's, that, that's maybe, you know, sparking a little bit of curiosity for them. How would you get started looking into being a death priest? How would you how would you go about figuring out if this is something you want to invest more of your time in?
1: That's a good question. I think it's important when you're launching on this kind of work in an intentional way to conduct a really honest self-evaluation of like, what mm-hmm. are your goals for this? And like, why why do you feel called? Get in touch with your why, like get, a, get really clear on that. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you hoping to learn? Um, what are your unique gifts and talents? Like, what do you already have as skills that you can put to work? Like the way you were talking about how you like, used your sort of executive function skills to assist mm-hmm. the like secretarial work of di- of dying with your friend you know <laughs> yeah, like exactly, you got to like exactly. find the people to call and make the phone calls yeah. and get things and like talk, talk to the banks and all these things um you know like do a good inventory and like really get creative and think about like okay what are all the things i'm good at and how does that apply to this realm because probably most of it applies um mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, also it's important to do like a bit of risk assessment about how uh, like your preparedness on a mental health level for this work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, do you have the mental, emotional, psychic, spiritual stability uh, to serve as death pre And And um, do you need to build more skills or like get a little more anchored and grounded in yourself or get some community around you some mentors around you that can support you in this before moving into this, or do you need to move into it in very intentional ways? Because um, one thing that I knew from, know from doing so much hunting and butchering work is that the moment of death, like ha- releases a huge amount of energy and that energy washes yeah. over anyone who is present in that room or in that area. And it's like, kind of a lot to take in and to process in your energetic body um it it is it can feel like a little bit of a high for a while and it often has like a you know a low afterwards a day later or something like that um and just yeah are you ready to like absorb that energy in a balanced way or is it going to throw you off kilter and send you into a spiral you want to like just do an honest self-assessment and get some support around yeah. you.
0: Yeah. 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 or Just some training, you know, just some training so that when you do feel that you're like, Oh, okay. All right. Here's where I need to engage my grounding and centering and coping skills that I've learned. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah.
1: And just knowing what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, And then I think whenever you're launching a new spiritual practice, uh, it's really great to like build space into your life for it in a intentional and structured way so that there's like, mm-hmm. I think when we set aside both physical and temporal space for a thing, we like sh- prove to ourselves that this is something we are really valuing. <laughs> um, yeah. So like creating a physical altar to ground your death pre work and learning and, you know, putting decorating that in the way that like is relevant for your particular style of death pre Um, And establishing at least one daily practice around this, whether it's like a special grounding practice that you do for this work, or if you have like daily prayers you want to do daily journaling and meditation, maybe sitting at that altar or something like that, Um, or, you know, daily, some people can't do daily if you're like, you know, working a job <laughs> and raising two kids or something like that that can yeah, be a little yeah. hard but you know something yeah. that has a structure every new and full moon every sunday whatever it works for you um and and it's great to like keep a journal um whether you integrate this into your normal journal or you have a special death processing journal that you keep at your altar or something like that but like um just journal about like your journey like what is um what are you learning and certainly if you do any um very focused uh death work uh supporting someone who's dying or harvesting an animal or um doing work in a cemetery or any of these things um you definitely want to keep a journal of those experiences and so you can record your learnings and refer back to them i mean jamie and i are both big fans of yeah. of taking notes we both refer back to our magical <laughs> journals a lot for both for the yeah. work we've done together and separately yeah. Um, and it's, yeah. it really I mean, helps you can do way.
0: other things. You can do other things too, right? If, if you like to draw, then, you know, make, keep a sketchbook, keep a sketchbook of what you're, you know, what you're learning and what you're going through. Um, if you're a person that's, that, that does not like to do any of these things, I know a lot of people that just record vo- voice notes on their phone or do something, you know, really quick, just make a bulleted list or something like that. But it is, um, it's, it's good to see where you've come at, where you've come from, you know, so you can you can think about where you want to head next, and you know, it, just for the the sort of perspective along the journey. And you know, there, there might be something in the future that happens. You're like, you know what? I need to look back at that time two years ago when I was doing this thing, and and uh, I remember there was a certain you know there was a certain plant that I used as an ally in that. And what was that? You know, it, you can just look back and see. So it's it's helpful. Totally.
1: And especially when we get into working with spirits and deities, I I think that a lot of times um, signs and symbols show up in your life, sort of foretelling that mm-hmm. work before you're even aware. Mm-hmm. And then it's fun to be able to look back and be like, oh yeah, like this, you know, I was seeing owls everywhere, and that meant this, you know, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And like, and deities can be really supportive in death work, you know. Normally, in a lot of our cultures uh death rituals, funerals and stuff like that are the purview of spiritual leaders in the community. They are very tied in with religion and whatever gods that religion is yeah. focused on. Yeah. Um and it really is a good a good anchor. There's a lot of gods that are dedicated to this work. Um and you can probably find one yeah, in whatever absolutely. cultural lineage um is is what you're working with. Um we we, you and I, Jamie, have both done a lot of work with Hades and his retinue mm-hmm. and from the Greek yep. tradition. Um, <laughs> uh, some people work with Osiris from the Egyptian tradition. Um, Hell from the Norse tradition is a really interesting goddess of death. Um, really cool, like hosting energy. And and yeah, just, I don't know. She's part of a cool Loki little team of, of monsters. It's pretty great. A <laughs> cool um, Loki team. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um,
1: in the Welsh, we have Gwyneth. Um, Mm -hmm. There's Ereshkigal from the Sumerian or Babylonian tradition. Um, And those are just a few that are are more Mm -hmm. well-known. But, um, you know, if you work in a different tradition, look into uh, what were the deities that actively put themselves forward to support that work. Um, yeah, and, you I was know. having
0: a conversation with um someone recently uh, about deities and and different deities and they were like oh well can I work with the Morrigan as my death deity I'm like you absolutely can right but you know the Morrigan has more purview um, in some respects over uh, battles and warriors and things like that so that's gonna probably flavor your particular death work you know so um it's again it's like it, it goes it kind of goes hand in hand with like what are your unique skills skills and talents what are you bringing to the table and then what what spiritual beings are in alignment with that you know
1: definitely and like not everyone's gonna work with a death deity like that's not a requirement for being a death priestess Mm -hmm. you can totally just be a general animist death priestess if that's not what you like to do um but a lot of people find that there are some kind of like spirits or guides or helpers in this work. Um and also just having community around this work can be really helpful. Like who else is doing this work? How can you support each other? Um they, I mean if you're in a place where you don't know anyone else, you know, you don't have like friends that are doing this work, you can like listen to podcasts and subscribe to newsletters by death doulas and like sort of become a part of that online conversation and then maybe start to yeah. ask around yeah. in your magical community like hey, is anyone else interested in in studying this? That's going to be a really great um way to way to engage we do also have a death priestessing thing um zoom module class um, in our <laughs> we Weaver, but, you know, if you want to meet a lot of other people interested in that it's a great place to find folks gathered up um, but if you're not if you're not supported by deities and whether or not you have like human community around this work um there's also just like plants and animals and that's something you've explored a lot jamie i wonder if you tell us a lot about yeah. like allies in, yeah. the, in the plant and animal worlds
0: well, I'm kind of a plant nerd. So uh, when it comes to magic, so I have a lot of the uh, herb, esoteric herbal information. But um, some examples of plants that I like, I kind of picked out, I knew we were talking about this today. So I picked out four of my favorites. Um, I really love the cypress tree and specifically the Mediterranean cypress tree, um, violet. Just our ordinary common violet, uh, rosemary, and I, I love rosemary, and I love thyme actually as well. And all of those have been—they've um, definitely been used for millennia <laughs> in death rituals. In fact, the Mediterranean cypress tree is the most planted tree in uh, cemeteries and like places of of, of interment. So mm. the cypress has a long-standing. Uh, Relationship and history with these quote unquote cities of the dead, right? Um, I love the soft energy of violet. um, And I, you know, rosemary, of course, like it has this like pungent, beautiful sort of, uh, it's almost like a a purifier or a fumigator of spaces. It's also really tied into remembrance. It's even quoted in Shakespeare and Hamlet um, as being tied into remembrance. And time is actually a plant that people use for easy transitions. Uh, In the medieval period, People used to uh, tuck time into like the armor of knights that were going into battle because uh, it was supposed to give them courage and protection. But if they did happen to fall in battle, it would ease their spirit as it left the body. It would kind of provide an easy transition. So it's another another really interesting plant ally. Um, and there are many, many more <laughs> that we that we talk about uh, in our in our module. Uh, and some animals, oh my gosh, so many cool animals. Um, Well, here in the South where I live in so-called Alabama, the lands of the Muscogee people, um, there's cicadas. Uh, In fact, the cicadas have just now eased up on their summertime songs Um, and cicadas, of course, because they spend the majority of their lives underground (laughs) and emerging and shedding their skin and going through that, um, that process are very cool Um, around the world. Speaking of if, if, Psychopomp work is particularly something you're into. Uh, around the world, we see examples of the crane, the, the bird, the crane, uh, being used, uh, it, like, functioning essentially as a psychopomp. So there's that. Um, of course, beings who also uh, shed their skin, who also molt, are snakes. <laughs> snakes are lovely, earthy, very chthonic beings. And one of my favorites, even since I was a kid, um, this animal came to me in dreams when I was a kid and I was oftentimes scared of it. And I didn't really know that it was actually just courting a friendship with me. And now I love it is the vulture. (laughs) I used to dream of vultures and I would be kind of scared of that. But now I've learned, um, you know, the particular magic that they carry around again, like transitioning, um, transitioning like the, the actual physical bodies of the living. Um, so, you know, those are just a few, there's, there's so many more out there, but yeah, those are some that I, that I've, that I've spent some time with.
1: That's a really cool, cool list of beings (laughs) to engage with in the more than human world. I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Um, another thing (laughs) that I wonder if you would share Jamie is, um, cause I, a lot of my work with death has just been like on the homestead here. Um, but you've done a lot of uh, networking and learning and connecting with mm-hmm. like online conversations around this kind of death pre yeah. work. And I wonder if there's like particular places where you would send people and we can post the links in the, the episode notes.
0: Yeah, definitely. Put them in the show notes. Um, well, a really good place. Uh, and, and it's a cool place because they, they also are very radical inclined in their politics is the Order of the Good Death, uh, which is basically orderofthegooddeath.com. Um, That's kind of an information hub. So if you want to go and get a lot of education, read a lot of different articles, um, that's a really good place to go. And they, you know, they put out a newsletter and all those good things. So you can kind of get uh, get plugged into that. Uh, the Order of the Good Death was actually founded by a mortician in Southern California named Caitlin Doty, And Caitlin has a YouTube channel called Ask a Mortician. <laughs> and uh, Caitlin's channel is fun. She's goofy. <laughs> she definitely puts uh, some humor and irony into uh, her into her educational series, but you can go and find out all kinds of stuff. She's an author too. She has some books out, but on our YouTube channel, you can go and watch her videos, um, all kinds of things from, you know, actual questions about what she does as a mortician uh, up to and including, will my cat eat my eyeballs if I die alone in my house? Like there's like all kinds of things, it's a broad spectrum. <laughs> um, yeah, she's she's great. Her, her videos are fun. Um, Michaela Ricks is someone that I really admire who is a BIPOC death doula, a black death doula in the Atlanta metro area. And I met Michaela because I interviewed her for my Hades book and just really enjoyed speaking with her. And she has a very unique take on death and working with the shadowy side of life for the shadowy side of the psyche, the hidden things that we don't think about or try try to <laughs> try to run from, and puts out a whole newsletter about it called the Shadow Space. So I recommend checking out Michaela's work and maybe signing up for her newsletter. Um, another one of these hubs online, similar to Order of the Good Death, is uh, the Talk Death Resource Hub, and there's also a Talk Death podcast that goes along with that. They've got a ton of of information there and again a pretty balanced way of looking at it it's a not like a non-religious non-spiritual way of looking at it and and it's and it's very fairly balanced and you can really get um you know some some of those educational questions answered with them um and then i always just tell people go to five wishes living will <laughs> because one of the very like basic things that all of us can do is make sure that we have a living will in place, because when we die, it's very hard for those who are left behind to try to, like Murphy, like you said, with uh, with the, people struggle with executive functioning, as they should, because your emotional circuitry is overloaded. And if you have a living will in place, that can help with a lot of those tough decisions and, and things that people are trying to figure out. So no matter if you're 20 or 80, get yourself a living, get a living will. And at this website, five wishes, living will, it's, it's very simple. It's, it's basically just a few questions. You fill them out, you sign it, you have a witness sign it and you file it and that's it, (laughs) you know, it's really, really simple. So those are all things you can do. And if you want to hang out with us and talk about death in in a magical uh, in a magical circle, we'd love to have you in Death Priesting. Um, we're gonna have a, our Death Priesting course is enrolling now, and it starts in January. So yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, that's a lot of really good resources for people to sink their <laughs> teeth into if they're yeah. more interested in this work. I ho- hopefully people have a lot to think about. And this is, of course, the, the season of, of Samhain, of All Hallows' mm-hmm. Eve, mm-hmm. of Day of the Dead, of so many different um, traditions around death. So I think it's really great mm-hmm. to be uh, talking about that, this, especially at this time of year.
0: Okay. Murphy, tell them how to how to uh, enroll in death pre-sixing if, they, if, if someone wants to join us. How do they do that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you just go to wayoftheweaver.com for all the details. Um, <laughs> starting in early January, 2024, it's a three-month uh, course where we meet on Zoom every other week for seven sessions. And we really build a lot of community around it. We put a lot of um, mm-hmm. interaction and um, yeah just engagement into our in our courses it's not like a ton of lecture i mean it's some of that but it's a lot of interaction too um just you know the zoom pep talk because some people are sick of zoom but zoom's still a good tool um, <laughs> hey
0: we're sick of zoom and we teach on zoom so i know, we know. Totally. We're, with you. we're with you we know that's why we that's it. why we make it we make it fun <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right and and then and of course we also so that's we focus on death pre-sixing um, and then for the broader work that we do, we, again, we have a Spider Threads cohort forming next May, which is our mm-hmm. um, longer term, several months long sort of magical learning and community building experience. Um, it's going to be three long weekends, Thursday through Sunday, each weekend, one in May, one in June, and one in October. Um, and there will be some Zoom calls in between for connecting. And, of course, Zoom calls with people you've already been to a magical retreat with are uh, much more fun than other other Zoom calls with people you haven't yeah, met in person true. before. <laughs> Um, and, um, it's really, yeah, the Spider Threads cohort is a place to build some really deep and lasting community with other magical people and it's queer-centric, trans-inclusive, strong ethics Mm -hmm. around cultural appropriation, um, there's BIPOC scholarships, um, and it's just a lot of fun. So if you want, like, Mm -hmm. a deeper dive into, like, a full comprehensive skill set, that's where to go and that also is on wayoftheweaver.com.
0: Yeah! Yeah!
1: You want to tell us about some upcoming stuff, Jamie?
0: Sure. Um, Also, I mean, there is one more Weaver thing that we have that is open. Well, that it's coming up. That's on the calendar. That we're in active planning mode for, and that's Weaver Camp. So. Don't forget to put that date on your calendar. Um, If you do want to hang out with some person, but maybe you don't want to commit to the whole spider threads yet, you can have a shorter experience at Weaver Camp. And just so you know, put that on your calendar for June 27th through the 30th in 2024. And enrollment's not open yet, but if you're subscribed to our newsletter, you will get uh, the first chance when that does open. And you can go on and make sure that you register and get your spot. And of course, we'll probably talk about it on this podcast too. So <laughs> you'll be in the know. Um, I'm excited to announce that I'm presenting at Botanica Obscura. So if you like hearing Jamie talk about plants and you want to hear some other nerds talk about plants, <laughs> that's a place for you. Um, and of course, it's all, it's all having to do with plants uh, in a magical or esoteric sense. So it's really fun. That's taking place online. It's March 8th through 10th, 2024. They are in the process of rolling out their presenter announcements on Facebook. And I just, I saw mine roll out last week. So that was very exciting. And their ticket sales, their ticket sales start in December. You can go to their website, botanicaobscuraconference.com and uh, get a ticket. Um, and I'll, again, I'll put that in the show notes as well. And then finally, I'm just always plugging away at the fact that Hades is coming out. <laughs> the whole Hades, the book is, uh, is available for pre-order. I actually, very exciting, just saw the press galleys, which is like the final proof that I get before it goes on the printing press um saw those looks fantastic and so it's off to the presses now and copies will ship in February but you can go ahead and pre-order it if you want from Llewellyn and that supports me in my work so thank you
1: <laughs> so excited for that book to be in the world such amazing work you did with that
0: oh thanks <laughs> mm. All well right. is that it for today
1: I think that's it for today enough talking about oh. death for one day
0: enough death for one day well it, you know here when we're recording this it's the day before Halloween you're probably going to be listening to this in mid-November or later but anyway happy spooky season yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know enjoy the enjoy the month of Samhain and our sort of uh, as we descend towards you know the darkest night of the year um, you know it's good stuff it's good stuff we enjoy it we enjoy it when we ride this part of the cycle <laughs>
1: All right. That's it for today. Let's roll the credits.
0: (laughs) Thanks for joining us. You can learn more about Way of the Weaver programs at www.wayoftheweaver.com. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends. It also helps if you write us a review. Subscribe to this podcast so you never miss a new episode. They'll be coming out on or around the 13th of every month.
1: Our theme music is by Fern Maddy, and you can find more from her at fernmaddymusic.com. Remember that magic is real, present all around us, and a profound tool for justice and transformation. Use it well.